Uh, they had to deal with growing pains just like we do, but they, uh, on a much larger scale that they had to do this. And so let's see what we can learn from them here in chapter 6 this morning. And uh, I, what I want to do first is just read through these first seven verses, and I'm going to come back to them. Uh, so I won't put them on the screen right now, but follow along in your Bibles. Acts chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 1. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing... The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered, talking about the twelve disciples, gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and some others that are listed there. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests or leaders became obedient to the faith. Now let's think about what's going on here for just a moment here in the movement. Uh, we've seen as we've been going through the book of Acts that, you know, uh, this movement has began, begun and Satan has tried to hinder their work, to hinder the work of the early church. And mainly it was through attacks from outside the movement uh, that we've seen up to this point. You know, church leaders we've seen have been beaten Followers of the movement have been beaten. They've been threatened. Some were thrown in prison, threatened with their lives. But so far, we've seen that this hasn't stopped the movement. It actually hasn't even affected the movement very much. And it hasn't kept them from growing. And it hasn't stopped the message of Jesus from getting out to all those who surrounded them. And so here's what's happened. When one uh, type of attack uh, doesn't seem to be working, old devil has a plan B every time, right? And, and so what we see here in, in Acts is that the attacks from the outside continue, right? But now we're going to see that Satan is going to try to begin to work on the inside. And he's going to, be able, he's going to start to try to create some dissension inside the church. And I want to look at those first couple verses again. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, they were having growth. They were experiencing great days. God was blessing them. He was doing some incredible and amazing things. What happened? The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Someone was being overlooked. Someone fell through the cracks. Someone got their feelings hurt. People were offended. And so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now the problem of some widows being overlooked is not the attack. All right? Instead, it's what? It's a complaining spirit that was the problem. All right? It was people within the church that were disgruntled. People within the church who were, who, who were beginning to, to stir things up. Again, in the first century church, we see some, uh, a glimpse of what we see in the 21st century church. And it's this mindset of being a consumer. 
What can the church do for me? What should the church do for me? I demand that the church do this for me. If not, I'll move on down to the church down the road, right? And so this is what was welling up. This is what was beginning to take place in the movement uh, in the early church. And so the question is this, how are the apostles going to handle this? Right? How, how are they going to handle uh, this, this murmuring and complaining that's going on? What are they going to do to address these concerns among the people that, that are basically being created because of... Well, why, why is that happening? Well, it's happening because of the growth that they've experienced, right? It's been overwhelming for them. So they've seen all this, this, this growth and God blessing, but it's creating these challenges. And so I believe the first thing that we can learn here is that we're to handle these challenges with great discernment and with wisdom. All right? Always with discernment and always with wisdom. And so what happened here? The apostles got together, right? And they recognized, okay, there's a problem. We've got an issue. Uh, but they also realized this. We understand some people are not getting the food, but we also understand that what we've been called to do is a specific ministry role in the movement. And because they, you know, they were doing what they had been called to do, they were seeing the growth. They were seeing the movement move. They were seeing more and more people come to know Christ, but this was creating some other issues and some other challenges. Think about the type of growth that they were experiencing at this time. And I just want to point out a few verses in the book of Acts that shows us the growth that was taking place. In week number one, in Acts chapter one, we saw that 120 people were added. There were 120 people. Then Acts chapter two, verse 41, 3,000 were added on that day. Acts chapter two, verse 47, the Lord added daily to those who were being saved. Acts four, uh, verse four, the number of men grew to about 5,000. Acts 5.14, more and more men and women believed and were added to their number. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the number of disciples was increasing. Okay, so don't tell me that it's not about the numbers. Because it is about the numbers. Because I've, t I've said it before, every number represents a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. Numbers matter. We can fool ourselves by saying they don't, but they do. You're a number and you matter. Your soul matters. And, and, and so scholars believe that at this time, there were about over 10,000 people who had joined and become a part of this movement and were followers of Jesus Christ. There were more and more people being added to the church daily, and this movement was growing at a rapid uh, rate, which means that there were more and more people for the apostles to take care of and to oversee and, and to lead. And I'm sure that they were becoming overwhelmed with this. We, we talked about a few weeks ago, just the fact that they had to figure out how to baptize 3,000 people was quite the challenge, right? That would be challenging for us. And so I'm sure they were being overwhelmed with all this growth and not just the leaders, but it was starting to show among the people in the congregation, among the followers. And there were some who were starting to feel left out. There were some that were starting to feel neglected and they were beginning to complain and they had their feelings hurt, right? That's how Satan does his work. 
the Greek word that's used here for this word complain means murmuring or grumbling. It's what it means. They weren't complaining openly, or even they weren't even complaining to the leaders, right? Because it's okay as long as I don't hear it, right? I mean, I mean, you're free to do whatever you want as long as I don't hear it. And so that's what we're having here. They were just grumbling among the people. They were just murmuring. They were just being negative. And this is just the kind of thing that Satan can use to do damage to the movement, to destroy us from where? Not from the outside in, but from the inside out, right? And so, you know, attacks from the outside hadn't been working that great. And so he works to attack and discourage those who are inside the movement and a part of the movement. And often within a congregation, the leadership will fall short of the expectations of the people. All right? Just will. A leader will always fall short of the expectations that the people around them have. Because every single one of us, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but every single one of us, whether it be in work or the church or anywhere else, we look at the person at the top and say, I would do it different. Right? I would do it different and I would do it better. Right? Until you find yourself in that position and then you realize that whole time you didn't have a clue what you were talking about. Right? Because I, I was that guy. All right, and so, you know, so honestly, no pastor or staff person can make everyone happy. Uh, I, I learned from Brother Jim a, a long time ago. Brother Jim, for those of you that may be visiting, he was the pastor of this church for 27 years. I was his youth pastor for 15 of those years. And, uh, you know, he, he taught me a lot of awesome things. And one thing is this, you can't make everyone happy, so don't try. <laughs> and sometimes the best kind of revival to have is a backdoor revival. And those people that aren't happy, it'd be best that they just go out the back door. <laughs> right? And, and he said it. I, you know, I'm just sharing it. And so, you know, it's, I, I learned a lot from a great man of God because you can't make everyone happy. And you know what? The people that we can't make happy here, they are going to leave and they're going to go to another church. And guess what? they're not going to be happy there either. And if you're here today and you left the church because you weren't happy, you may be happy here for a little while, but eventually you're going to find something you don't like. All right? It is what it is. And Satan, you know, Satan doesn't want people to give the benefit of, doubt, benefit of the doubt to the leadership, right? And to these apostles. He doesn't want them to think, you know, maybe they have more on their plate than they can take care of. Maybe they're doing the best they can do with what they've got and the people that are helping them. You know, maybe they, maybe they need some help. Maybe they don't have time to do everything that we think they should be doing. No, instead, what's Satan doing? He's whispering in their ears, they don't care about you. You, you fell through the cracks because they really don't care about you. You know, they're, they're looking at your tithing record, and so they treat these people better than they treat you. We try to treat you all the same. Even those of you that take money out of the plate when it passes by, we don't care. We're just praying you'll be saved. That's why you're here. God wants to save your life. But that's how, what Satan does, isn't it? He whispers in our ear, oh, they're not treating you right. They're not treating you fairly. They're not doing this right. You know, other people's needs are being met, but not yours. They're ignoring you, yours. And so what begins to happen? People begin to murmur and grumble and complain 
But the best way for them to express their concerns is not really to complain and grumble among themselves, is it? I mean, they needed to go directly to the leadership. (laughs) They needed to go directly to the apostles and not let it just get back to them through the rumor mill or the grapevine. Because I'm going to tell you from personal experience, nothing hurts a leader more than to hear about someone being disgruntled or having an issue through the grapevine. There's nothing that hurts worse. right? Come say it to our face. If you've got it to say, say it to our face. If not, shut up, <laughs> you know, because it, it, it's not the way it should be. And so, but that's what's taking place from the first century church through the 21st century church. I'm sorry, I just said shut up. I really didn't mean that. <clears throat> I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing now. Got off track. But anyway... Regardless of how it happened, the leaders understood they had an issue. They had some problems. They were going to have to address them and, and deal with them. And, and you know, sometimes, sometimes you can ignore the problem and it'll just go away. But sometimes you actually have to address it. And this was one of those situations we're seeing an example here of where they felt like they needed to address the issue that was going on. Evidently, it had grown to that magnitude. And so they didn't want to ignore the problem here. It had been brought to their attention, so they wanted to deal with it. Something else I noticed here about this, and this spoke to me personally when I realized this. When the apostles caught wind of what was going on, when they caught wind that there was a rumor mill going on, the grapevine was alive and well, you know, when they found all this out and that there, there was grumbling that was taking place and it made its way back to them, they didn't start complaining because the people were complaining. And that really spoke to me because I'm quick to grumble too, right? When I hear someone grumbling, I'm like, Argh. you know, I can do that too. You know, it's our, kind of our nature. And so that kind of spoke to me that when this happened, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't resent the people that were complaining, uh, at least they didn't record it here in the Bible if they did. Uh, but, but, you know, honestly, leaders have to have thick skin and deal with the issues, even if, you know, they don't handle it the way that other people think that they should. Leaders are called to lead. Uh, and, and we also uh, see that they don't overreact to the problem. Uh, and that's something else that jumped out to me here. Uh, they didn't overreact just to appease these people temporarily, uh, but they realistically assessed it notice that by the time that they called the church together they already had in mind their solution right by the time they they came before the church with this they had a solution in mind and they uh had the reasons for it but but dealing with issues and problems that come up sometimes take a little time you know i read those first seven verses earlier in about a minute uh but there was definitely some time that passed between verse one and verse seven Uh, We live in a world that happens fast. I mean, they call us, what, the microwave generation because we expect anything, everything instantly. We send an email and we're bent out of shape. We don't get a reply within an hour. We send a text message. We expect immediate response, you know. Uh, My wife's immediate response is really no response at all. K? I mean, really? All you can say to me is K? But it's a response. So anyway, and so we expect that. But problems are not typically solved in a, in a few minutes, not back in the early church days and not in our time either. And, and what we see happen here in seven short verses that we read may have taken weeks or maybe even months to get from verse 1 to, to verse 7. So the apostles hear about the situation. They meet together. They talk through what they think God would have them to do. And they talk about, you know, how they can best address these concerns. But here's the deal. They knew 
what they had been called to do, and they had been called to lead the church. And their main priority in leading the church effectively was to be men of prayer, to be ministering the word, to be sharing the gospel, to be teaching sound doctrine. And so they knew if they began to neglect what was creating and causing the growth and the movement in the first place, they knew if they were neglecting that, uh, you know, it was a role that, that they couldn't fill because, you know, it would take them away from their primary duties that God had called them to do. But who, who can meet this real need that was taking place in the church? And we see them say here in verse 2, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. It's an issue that needs to be resolved. We understand that people are falling through the cracks, but they also know that it wouldn't be right for them to neglect their role as leaders and apostles of the church. And so we see here the second important thing when it comes to handling church growth. Look at uh, verse 3. Brothers and sisters... Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at him in much more in depth here in a few weeks. And they picked some others. Verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So what did the apostles do here? They delegated, right? They delegated to other people who were part of the movement. The apostles didn't try to do everything themselves, right? They recognized what the, their priorities were and, and focused on those things, and then they were willing to delegate these other things that were being, you know, neglected and, and they couldn't get done. They delegated that to other people. And honestly, I'm horrible at this. I'm absolutely horrible at this. And people that know me know that I'm horrible at this. It's something that, that I have to work at. Uh, and, and, I, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm like some of you, and some of you I know are control freaks. Right? And us control freaks, the reason we have trouble delegating is because nobody else can do it as good as us. Right? And nobody else is going to do it the way we want it to be done. And I'm going to tell you, it takes a work of God in my heart for me to just let some things go and let somebody else do it. And I'll walk by and go, I could have done it better. But hey, I just, I'm, I'm just like thankful it's done, right? And so some of you can relate, but, but I believe that every church needs, every church leader needs to be able to do this in order for the church to be healthy and, and to keep moving. And like I said earlier, the events of these seven verses, they didn't happen overnight. And as we continue to grow here in Greenbrier, Greenbrier Nazarene, and I believe we will, I believe our greatest days are ahead of us. We need to recognize that we are going to need more and more people serving in ministry roles, serving in important roles uh, in the church, more leaders that are discipling people, more people that are ministering to me, uh, more people, more leaders that are serving people. And I just want to tell you what that looks like, that, that discipling people and, and, and doing these things we've talked about over the last few weeks. This is what happens in Sunday school classes, Bible studies, and small groups. This is where this happens. 
This is where this takes place. And I often have people come to me and say, you know, we don't have enough Sunday school classes. We don't have enough options. We don't have enough small groups. We don't have enough Bible studies. And the reason we don't have enough is because we don't have enough people willing to teach them, lead them, and host them in their homes. That's why. That's why we don't have any more than we have. God's doing a great work in and through our Sunday schools and Bible studies and small groups. He's doing a great work for those people that are part of that. But we have a lot of people in our church that aren't a part of any of that, right? And, and so, you know, we need more people that are assimilating those and pulling those people together and making that happen. Uh, more leaders that are heading up the ministries that we have and new ministries that we need to start. We can never get comfortable just doing what we've always done. Right? And that's what hands and feet in the heat's about this summer. We're going to do some things that are different this summer. And we're going to do some things that serves our community. We're going to do some things. Uh, one of the events you'll see on there is we're just going to take one Wednesday night. And we're just going to honor you people who are working yourselves to death in the church. The volunteers that are getting it done. They say 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of you, we're going to celebrate you. And so we're, we're going to honor our volunteers, but we need more and more and more. See, the same challenges they had in the first century church we have today, in the 21st century church. It just makes sense, doesn't it? That the more you grow, the more people you need to keep the movement going. Does that just make sense to anybody besides me? Maybe not. But the more we have to minister to, the more people that it takes to do that. And yes, we've had some great years here in Greenbrier, but God is not finished with his work here yet. He's not. He'll let us know when he is, and then we'll be gone. All right? And so when we're facing the challenges, when we're facing the difficulties, difficulties right? When we're facing these challenges, challenges of the movement. It's key that, number one, leaders recognize the issues, and then we should seek to alleviate that by seeing that the task of ministry be delegated to qualified and godly individuals. Uh, that's the biblical way for handling challenges, by the way, uh, that come along with this growth and this movement. Now, it's not for the pastor and staff to just handle on our own. A lot of people think that. It's not. It's, you know, it's to raise up others to take on ministry responsibilities um, country song just popped in my head. Who's going to fill their shoes, right? Um, and, and so when, when this happens, when this is working the way it should work and the movement is moving, the, seeing the growth, uh, and people step up and take on these ministry responsibilities, do you know what we'll see? Same thing they saw in verse number 7. Look at it again. So the word of God spread. The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests or leaders became obedient to the faith. The church grew even more because they handled these growing concerns in a God-honoring way. All right? Now, I'm not so naive as to think that as we grow, we won't have challenges. There are going to be times when we're not doing everything that needs to be done. Okay? There are going to be those times. Uh, there's going to be times when someone's going to get overlooked. There's going to be times when someone falls through the cracks. I don't want that to happen, but it's going to happen, right? No, one, no one's perfect, and so that's the reality. But when that does happen, right, when that does happen, we are encouraged here not to let Satan use that 
to create grumblings and division in the movement and in the church. And if we're not fulfilling our ministry to our congregation or our community, you know, if, if we're not doing a good job of that and you don't think we're doing a good job of that, don't just complain about it. It may be an opportunity for you to step forward and to do that very thing. The movement needs not only followers, but it needs some people to step up and be leaders. Not just consumers of the church, but leaders uh, in the church. Those that are committed to the ministry of building the kingdom and propelling this movement into the future for the next generation and the next generation. So they can look back and say, you know, in the past 150 years, God's used some people in powerful ways to keep this movement going right here in Greenbrier, Arkansas. And believe me, we, you know, uh, a lot of times people will come to us and they'll have this great ministry idea. Can I just tell you this this morning? Uh, if God has laid something on your heart, it could just be that he wants you to do it. Amen. All right? He, he, he probably didn't lay it on your heart so that you could tell me that it needed to be done. All right? And, and so don't, don't get all upset when you come to me and say, well, God, you know, I feel like this is something we could do. I'm like, when are you going to start? <laughs> when are you going to start? Amen. Because here's what I know. That, you know, number one, we could use the help. But here's what I know for certain, without a shadow of a doubt, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Yes, he wants to use me, but he, he wants to use you. He wants you to trust him into making, him, making you a godly man or a godly woman that can be used effectively in his ministry of this movement. He wants to use you. Listen, those numbers that were up here on the screen earlier, those are not my numbers. It's not my church it's not your church board's church. It's his church. They're his numbers. They're his souls. They're his creation. They're his dollars that he gave us to be faithful with and to be generous with. It's all his. It's not our church. It's his church. It's his movement. And we are just blessed to be invited to be a part of it. <laughs> we must always keep that in mind. And, you know, we've got to do it his way or no way. Because we're going to fail if we don't do it his way. And, and we want this church to continue to be a church that honors God and handles the growth that he blesses us with in a godly way. This is the movement, folks. This is the movement. Do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to be a part of it? And I'll just say this before we dismiss to our fathers. Dads, for those of you that have kids or grandkids, they're watching you to see if you move in the direction that you say you're moving in. Okay? They're watching you to see if you're part of the movement or if you just talk about the movement. They're watching you, and they will follow not your words, but they will follow your actions. Most of the time, a child will fo follow in their father's footsteps. 
There are exceptions to that, but most of the time they will. And so I would just ask you, are your children seeing you actively and radically committed to this movement that we've been called to be a part of? I don't know. They hear us talk about it, but do they see us living it? And do they crave that? And if you're a child here today, I would just challenge you, if you see your dad living a sacrificial life that has surrendered their life for the glory of God, follow in his footsteps. Not only will it bring honor to your father, but it will bring honor to your heavenly father. And you'll be a blessed person to follow their steps, I assure you. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we're so blessed to be a part of this movement, so blessed to be a part of your church, so blessed to have inherited what we have inherited here in Greenbrier as the church. You're doing some phenomenal things in and through this church. I think sometimes we get lulled into thinking that it's just going like it's always gone. But God, you're doing something amazing here, and we're blessed to be a part of it. Help us not to become comfortable in what you have done in the past and what you did yesterday, but we would be uncomfortable in the fact of what you want to do tomorrow and in the days ahead. God, again, thank you for the invitation that you presented us to be a part of your movement here in this community. God, I pray that you would find us faithful. I pray that you would find us obedient. I pray that we would take a look at, thank you for this glimpse we have today of how it all began and how we need to continue it and the challenges that we face and the right way to handle those. But there's a lot of people that are probably sitting within the sound of my voice today that associate themselves with the movement, but they're not really plugged in and Maybe, maybe you're calling them to step up and to start something new, a class, a Bible study, a small group, whatever it may be. God, I, I know that we've learned this past week there's a huge harvest out there, but the harvest doesn't just get up and walk into the barn by itself. It takes workers, it takes laborers for the harvest. And so I pray today you'd be calling some laborers to the harvest today. And I thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you've done. But I'm going to thank you for what you're going to do in the future because we trust you and we just believe that you're a big God that wants to do some big things right here. And we want to be a part of that. We love you so much. Thank you for your awesome love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Well, one.